Judges chapter 2, verses 1 to 15. The angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochum and said, I brought you up out of Egypt and led you into the hand I swore to give to your ancestors. I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall not make a covenant with the people of this land, but you shall break down their altars. Yet you have disobeyed me. Why have you done this? And I have also said, I will not drive them out before you. They will become traps for you, and their gods will become snares to you. When the angel of the Lord had spoken these things to all the Israelites, the people wept aloud, and they called that place Bochum. There they offered sacrifices to the Lord. After Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each to their own inheritance. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and for the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110, and they buried him in the land of his inheritance at timnath Heres, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gaash. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served Baal and the Ashtoreths. In his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of the enemies all around, whom they were no longer able to resist. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he had sworn to them. They were in great distress. Welcome everyone to Soul Revival Digital on a weekend and it's fantastic to have you with us and um, fantastic to have uh, Janine reading the Bible for us straight at the beginning, which is really exciting. Having said that, something else I'm really excited about is you might notice that we're all wearing the same shirts. And that's because Soul Revival Apparel is on its way, guys. Uh, Fee, do you, you, do you like the shirt? I do like the shirt. Excellent. Yep. I'm, I'm glad. Cool. <laughs> I've, been, I've been a bit worried that people won't like it, so I'm really excited to actually deliver it. It's going to be on the site very soon, guys. Stu, you're wearing it too. You're matching yes. it with your hat. Yes, is it? No, you've got a black hat. Oh, a black hat. Yes, I do. Yes. Yes. And black around your glasses. Very mm. mono, mono black. Monochrome. Monochrome. That's the word I'm looking <laughs> That's for. Very good. I'm feeling <laughs> incredibly stylish right now. <laughs> Excellent. As I said, uh, the Soul Revival Apparel is on its way, guys. The website will be up very soon for you to order. And I'm very excited for you to get all the nice pieces that we've made. So look out for that. Uh, the other thing that we need to talk about is this Sunday. So if you're watching this on Saturday, the Sunday coming up the next day. If you're watching this on the Sunday morning, then you're coming up to church after that. And if you're watching on Sunday afternoon, thanks for coming to the uh, Working Bee. Working Bee, yes, on Sunday the 7th of November. We're making a big uh, big clean-up and big fix-up before we actually come back to physical gatherings. It's getting excited. We're starting to get ready. We're going to have the clean-up on Sunday, and then the next week we're going to have prayer meetings where we pray at the time of our services. Uh, and we're also going to then, on the 20th, have our first trial service, another trial service after that, and then we'll be launched by December. So that'll be really good. And, and, those, and uh, those trial services are happening at all our gatherings? Yeah, they're happening at all our gatherings. And we just met with the council on Wednesday and we've worked out all our COVID-safe protocols and we've also worked it out so that vaccinated and unvaccinated people can all attend all of these events. Mm, cool. And uh, fee... I didn't introduce you before, I'm sorry. So, welcome. Hi. You attend our Saturday <laughs> night gathering and also Sunday afternoon slash night at Cronulla. Yes. Fantastic. Are you looking forward to getting back to both of those gatherings? Yes. <laughs> 
That's good. It will be good. Are you going to the trial gatherings? Yes, I am. Yes. And I think we're even having a late night trial a little bit earlier than the trials. So. Yeah, late night. If, again, with, Tonight. With your elaborate, this on elaborate uh, <laughs> introduction, it's Saturday the 6th. Late night has gone back, yep. so yeah. that's good. Yep. But yeah, I loved it. It was great. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the working bee. When, what time? Okay, what time should you um, should we expect people to come? Or what time does it start? Sorry. So Brado and I will be here from eight o'clock on Sunday morning. Eight o'clock Sunday morning. And if you're getting up to watch the Sunday service, you can come after the service, and we should be still uh, doing bits and pieces. Excellent. So if you feel like cleaning, see you there. Now we're gonna we're gonna move on to um, one of our special guests. Like we always like to welcome. Welcome back, everyone. It's uh, fantastic to have you back with us. It's fantastic to have a couple of my friends along with me, some very good friends. Uh, first, I have Tim. Hello. Hey, Joel. How are you going? Good, thank you. Children's pastor of Sorovol Church. That's the one. Are you well? I am very well, thank you. Excellent. Yeah. Um, that's great. And uh, hello, Mr. Lionel. Hello, Joel. Hello, Tim. Hey, hello, Lionel. everybody. How is the recording going of your new album? Slow. Is it? Yep. It's a, it's a real process for an artist like you, isn't it? Yep. Right, how like many, cheese, processed cheese. <laughs> how many, um, how many songs have you actually uh, put on tape? One. One. I thought you were working on the second one. Yep. Still, still working. Still working. Oh, okay, you need like a, you need. Do you need like a special producer to come in to help you? Need someone to lead the team. Oh dear. Yep. Is that right? Yep. Okay. Because it's hard. Because I got to fight grime on the weekends oh, too. You're very busy. Yep. Yeah, right. Is the cleaning help you come up, give you inspiration for your songs? Sometimes. Sometimes not. Okay. Good. Well, maybe you should do it more than just on the weekends and you might get more inspiration. But then I can't sing the song. It doesn't sound as good. Fight crime on the weekdays. That doesn't matter. But wouldn't you agree, Tim, that every uh, artist must evolve? Well, that's true. Yeah, we've uh, we've been Joel and I have been talking about that on the Shock Absorber podcast, actually, about how the the evolution of different mm-hmm. artists. David Bowie, uh, Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift was the next one. David yeah. Bowie turned into Taylor Swift. Da- no, no, they, they were two different people that oh. uh, both had similar processes. Mm. Yeah, but they're good artists. You should check them out and um, yeah, copy some of their their thoughts. They're good. Copy their songs. Done. Yeah, uh, maybe not copy their songs. They might have some problems with that. But um, yeah, it takes some inspiration. Like people don't clean, 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 clean. Yeah. Yep. That's it. Perfect. I like it. Have you you always always moved when you move your head? Seems to be happening more as (laughs) this goes on. Okay. (laughs) As what goes on? This podcast to YouTube thingy, Facebooky. Okay. Yeah. The more you talk, the more your eyes move. Yep. That's right. Tim. Lionel, got to remember your name, sorry. Lionel was talking about uh, leaders before. He had a problem with leaders, but that's something we're talking about in this series of judges too, right? It is because God gives uh, his people leaders, judges, during this period, and that's what our next little series is about, as we've said. Uh, And it's interesting to think about the leaders that we have. um, And one of the themes is if we have good leaders and we follow good leaders, uh, then we ourselves will also do well. But if we have bad leaders, uh, or even worse, no leaders, then we'll not go as well. Like Lionel said, you know, if you don't have someone helping you lead your music progress uh, on your album, uh, you're finding it hard, aren't you? Sure am. Yeah. Um, can you think of an, any other leaders that you have in your life, maybe at school or at home? Who else is kind of helping lead you, Lionel? Uh, the person the teacher chooses to do... Follow the leader. Oh, yeah, that's a great question. Or Simon Says. Simon Says, you follow the leader? Yes. Yep. And my coach. Your coach? Yep. What's your coach in? What are you getting coached in? All things. All things. All the sports. All the sports. I thought he's a life coach. (laughs) No, just sports. Oh, which sports? This sport, that sport, all the sports. Ones with balls, ones with no balls. Oh, Bats. Sumo wrestling? No. Oh, that's a sport. Yeah. What about, what's the most obscure sport you're working on? Um, international pee throwing. <laughs> okay. Are you good at that one? Yep. Excellent. Don't like peas. Blah. Yeah. How far can you throw a pea? As far as I can. 
I mean, yes, that's that's true. That's the point of it, right? <laughs> yep. Well, how did you have you measured how far you thrown a pee? The furthest? What's the furthest you've measured of thrown a pee? Um, all the way over there. Okay, that's a fair way. How far would you say that is, Tim? Oh, that's uh, at least a meter. A meter. Let's get the trundle wheel out and have <laughs> yeah, a look. That's right. Yep. So your coach is leading you in, in your, all your different sports, is he? Yep. Wow, he, he must be pretty good. Yeah, he is pretty good. Yep. Mm. It's my dad. If you didn't, <laughs> it's your, your dad. dad Hi, dad. <laughs> thanks, uh, thanks, Mr. Lionel. <laughs> um, if, if you didn't have a coach to coach you through pee throwing, uh, how do you think that would be different? I, it could be bad. Yeah. I could throw it into my eye. You oh. could. It could be dangerous. Yeah. Yep. And they, those eyes aren't, aren't the most, they're particularly vulnerable at the moment, aren't they? So you yep. have to be careful. Hmm. Yeah. Well, in the book of Judges, that's what we see. There's a, a verse right at the end which kind of defines the whole book, which says, in those days, Israel wasn't ruled by a king. They didn't have a leader. And everyone did what they thought was right. And that caused chaos. That caused all sorts of issues. And that's what we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks um, as we go through November, looking at the book of Judges. And we're going to see why God provides good leaders for us. Uh, and the best leader of all is, of course... Who do you think, Lionel? My dad! He's pretty good, but he's not the best. Oh, you mean Jesus! I do mean Jesus. That's right. Jesus is the best leader of all. He is the ultimate king, the ultimate judge, the ultimate leader. He's the one we follow. And when we follow a good and perfect king, we ourselves will be living the right way. So, Tim, you're saying that if we just could live and do whatever we want, that that's not very good? It wouldn't be very good, no. Right. Why? Why? Because uh, what I might want to do and what you might want to do, uh, you might want to do pee throwing and I want to do pee eating and you keep throwing away my dinner. Uh, that would be pretty disastrous. Oh, I might get upset at you. Um, or you would get upset at me because I kept eating your sports equipment. Um, so you can see that there would be a bit of confusion and, and tension because we're both just trying to do what we want to do. Um, but if we had a leader who was good and we could follow, he would help us to maybe he'd make sure there was enough peas for everyone to go around. And he could help us so I could throw it to you and you could catch it. Oh, uh, that's a great sport. Oh, that's a good we team should try one. that one. Yep. That but it, we need a leader to teach us. We do need a leader and the people of God need a leader. And thankfully, we've got the leader, King Jesus. Yeah. What a great way to wrap it up, Tim. Thank you very much. Guys, at home, uh, if you're thinking about who your leaders might be, uh, let us know in the comments. Uh, if you're thinking about, is it perhaps a coach like Lionel's dad? Or is it perhaps your teacher or something like that? But then, obviously, we have the amazing leader that is Jesus. So have a think about that, and we'll be back very soon. Bye! Uh, hi, my name's Lewis. Uh, I'm going to be praying for us today. So if you'd like to bow your heads and pray with me, uh, I'm going to begin now. Lord, I pray for our gatherings as we begin to return to in-person to try run some trial gatherings. Lord, I pray that you would protect all involved and that it would lift the spirits of those who have been stuck in lockdown for so long now. Father, I pray for those who may be feeling anxious about returning to gathering. Lord, it has been such a long time and there are so many uncertainties at this time as we slowly emerge from this period of turmoil and confusion. Lord, I pray that amidst the confusion and disarray, we may firmly cling to you, who are unchanging and always near. Lord, I pray that you would heal the sick and those suffering from injury. Lord, give them the strength to endure these trials by setting their eyes on the eternal rest that dwells these small lives that we now live. Lord, I pray that we would all feel the comfort of the Holy Spirit, not just in times of crisis, but in times of normality and stability too that we would not grow complacent, Lord, and forget just how great the gift you have given us is. Thank you, God, for our loving and supportive community at Soul Revival. Lord, I pray that you would continue to encourage us to build up and love one another during these hard times, even when we are suffering ourselves. Lord, please help those who are struggling and alone to reach out for help and for, uh, help us, Lord, to help them as we respond with love and compassion which overflows from the spirit that indwells. Lord, thank you for the safe delivery of the Atkins, Atkins family's newborn, Eloise. I pray, Father, for the Atkins family as they settle into this difficult but exciting stage of life. And I pray, God, that you would gift them with rest and help them to give their all in raising this child that you have blessed them with. 
And Lord, I pray for our congregation as we embark on this Judges series. This is undoubtedly a harsh and bloody period of your salvation history, Lord, and a shocking display of the absolute lows of human sin. But I pray, Lord, that your eternal love would comfort us during this series and that we would be ever more thankful of what Jesus Christ has saved us from as we read from the book of Judges. I pray that our understanding of our relationship with you would deepen and that we would marvel at your sovereignty, which continues to guide us safely on the journey back to you. And I pray this all in your son's name. Amen. Today's reading is from Judges chapter 2, from verses 1 to 15. The angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochim and said, I brought you up out of Egypt and led you into the land I swore to give to your ancestors. I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall not make a covenant with the people of this land, but you shall break down their altars. Yet you have disobeyed me. Why have you done this? And I have also said, I will not drive them out before you. They will become traps for you, and their gods will become snares to you. When the angel of the Lord had spoken these things to the Israelites, the people wept aloud, and they called that place Bochim. There they offered sacrifices to the Lord. After Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each to their own inheritance. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110, and they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnath-Herez, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gaash. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up, who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served Baal and the Ashtoreths. In his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of the raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around, whom they were no longer able to resist. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them just as he had sworn to them. They were in great distress. Thanks again to Vanessa for reading the Bible for us. Again, it was great to have a double reading, so I'm really excited about that. But now we are going to have the sermon, so we are joined again by Stu. How are you going, man? Hello, Joel. Are you excited about preaching from Judges? Yeah, I like the book. It's good. Yeah? I only just started reading it. Uh, to be honest, it's not a book that I've read before, so I'm, I'm full of surprises. It. Now, uh, what can we look forward to? Well, we're going to be looking at the story of Israel after Joshua passes away. So after the initial uh, people of Israel have initially gone into the land, then there's a period between that and when the kings come. So this book unpacks the history of Israel between Joshua and the king, the first king, Saul. There's obviously a lot of history in that time. Uh, what, what can you say is a highlight of that time? Well, the people of Israel didn't have a king and they didn't have a leader like Joshua or Moses. So in absence of that, they every, the, the book actually talks about the fact that everybody just did whatever they wanted to and they'd continue to stumble and fall and they'd call out to God and he would send a leader and then that leader wouldn't be perfect but would save them from their enemies and then they'd forget about that in a generation and so there was just this cycle of disobedience that kept going on and on so it's it's a challenging story in one sense because it's about uh about how human beings really fail to keep their promises or their covenant with god but 
it's also a really good story too because it's about God's faithfulness to us even when we let him down. I feel like sometimes you can fall in the trap when you're reading the Old Testament like, oh, look at these silly guys. Like, but like it's a really it's a picture of how much like we do exactly the same thing mm. as those guys. Yeah, well, two things out of that. I mean, first of all, all the leaders that are raised up are pointing to the fact that we need good leadership and the fact that they don't provide good leadership uh, shows that God is able to use them even though they have faults and flaws but also we are left longing for a real leader who's going to lead us and obviously that's Jesus who will come and lead us properly yeah that's cool uh, I think you had a question to start off before you got into your sermon. yeah question I've got for you guys is do you one, one of the themes in the book is that a generation after they've had a, you know a leader come through who's led them properly they forget the stories and and they just forget about God but that's really encouraged me to think that it's really important for us to continue to remind each new generation of the things that we hold dear. And I suppose my question for you was, do you remember someone who was older than you who helped you to understand the gospel and made it real to, to you as they shared that? You go first, Fee. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, there's been lots of people, um, but one that really springs to mind was... Um, uh, somebody who led a Bible study that I was involved in as um, as a young person. So it was probably the first Bible study I was in, sort of coming out of youth groupy sort of start, type, like what, what we would do on a Friday night, those sorts of Bible studies. Um, so it was at someone's home. They were inviting us to their home. It was a, um, um, a bunch of um, similar sort of age. We were all girls, but, um, um, yeah, there was a bit, of a bit of a mix of people in that. And um, her name was Judy Baldwin, so some of you guys will be familiar um, with her um, if you're involved in um, Grammy Anglican Church. Um, uh, and her son, Tim, um, I did youth ministry with him for a long time back in the day with Stewie. So, um, yeah, so she was someone who, yeah, just... Um, really was just somebody I could look to who was the next generation and loved Jesus and um, growing up in a family that didn't go along to church. Um, beautifully, my mum does now, but at the time she didn't. And so this was someone I could look to and go, oh, okay, that's what it's like to be a grown-up who's a Christian. Um, and um, and because we did Bible study together, she opened the word with us. So, yeah, yeah. that was really, really cool. And shared her life with us as mm. well, which that's was really, really cool encouraging. Thing. What yeah, about you, Joel? Uh, well, <laughs> we didn't plan this, but I thought the answer for this would be you, Fee, for me, because you were, yeah, I mean, at high school, I was in scripture in year seven. Yes, I was uh, your scripture teacher. Yeah, <laughs> you were. And uh, I don't know if I made it as that easy for you, but I do now, looking back on it, it was the first time someone spoke to me about the truth of Jesus. And that was that was was really cool. And obviously mm-hmm. led um, me down the path of becoming a Christian and God, God um, worked through you for me to become a Christian. I think that was really, really cool. And um, you're very gracious to us and also shared your life with us at certain points. And I think that was, um, yeah, that's a nice memory to have. But uh, yeah, you, you were the first person to talk to me about what Jesus had really done. That was one of the most beautiful things at that time because it was, yeah, there was an opportunity to really just sort of be that doorway and see the people who, you know, not necessarily straight away, but were then, were then opening up and then, the joy of then seeing them join all sorts of different churches. Mm. But like I, I had a bit of a rule that I wouldn't invite crew to our church um, unless they didn't have a connection with another church because you know my, my role was not to you know fill the coffers of our church. It was about making sure that everybody um, had an opportunity to connect with people about Jesus. Mm. Um, but there were people like yourself who didn't have any other connections mm. who then it was our, our church was the one and that used to just make me very very stoked when that happened so yes well thank you for your faithful service (laughs) as well because we really appreciate it Stu uh is it time to start your sermon in judges I think that'd be terrific so how about we dive in well thanks Joel and and thanks Fee for your thoughts it's really exciting to hear how people can pass on the gospel from one generation to the next and I suppose the opposite is is the danger if we don't pass on the gospel and continue to tell the next generation about the good things that we believe. Now, the story that we're looking at today is the story of Judges. And the story of Judges is a terrific story. And it's also a challenging story because the story takes place between uh, the people of Israel being led by the great leader Joshua. And then it sort of flows through all the way through to when the people of Israel had their first king, Saul. And so what happened in between? And the story is quite confronting because the people of Israel continue to be unfaithful to the covenant that they made with God. And yet despite their unfaithfulness and their inability to serve God and remind each new generation of the good things of God, that God is good and he is always good, the people of Israel keep failing, but God keeps hearing their pleas when they call out to him and he keeps raising up leaders for them that can save them from their enemies. 
And the interesting thing about these leaders is even the leaders themselves aren't particularly impressive. And so what we're left with, with as we read this book is we're left with this incredible sense that we as human beings are very fragile and we're very unable to keep our promises to God, yet God is faithful and he is mighty and he's able to save and he's able to uh, look after us uh, despite our sinfulness. And when we call out to God, he listens and he provides us with leadership. And the leaders that are provided for in the book of Joshua are not perfect, as I said, but they're kind of like a signpost to the perfect leader that God would raise up and send to us, which is Jesus himself. So let's dive into the book and have a look at what we're talking about here. And we're going to pick up the uh, story in chapter 2 of Judges, verse 1. The angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochum and said, I brought you up out of Egypt and led you into the land I swore to give to your ancestors. I said, I will never break my covenant with you and you shall not make a covenant with the people of this land, but you shall break down their altars. Yet you have disobeyed me. Why have you done this? And I have also said, I will not drive them out before you. They will become traps for you, and their gods will become snares to you. When the angel of the Lord had spoken these things to all the Israelites, the people wept aloud, and they called that place Bochum, which means place of weeping. There they offered sacrifices to the Lord. Well, this is a very um, uh, dreadful, I suppose, warning of what is going to take place in the history of the people of Israel. And what we're going to see in chapter 2, actually we see it all the way through chapter 1 through to 3, is like an introduction to the book of Judges so that we're going to get to understand this story. And to help us to understand this today, what we're going to do is look at the introduction in two parts. The two parts are chapter 1, verses 1 to 2, verses 5, which contains part of our reading. And the second part is chapter 2, verse 6, to chapter 3, verse 6, which again takes into account part of our reading. Well, in part 1, what we see is that the book picks up and enhances some of the conquest narrative in the book of Joshua. Now, if you've forgotten uh, what we did in Joshua just recently, we looked at the book of Joshua and we saw that the people of Israel were led through the desert by Moses. Uh, they had escaped out of Egypt because God had liberated them from the Egyptians and Moses took the people of Israel to Sinai. And when they got to Mount Sinai, Moses went up onto the mountain and he took the law of God, the Ten Commandments. But as he was coming down the mountain, he sees that the people of Israel had taken all the gold that they'd taken from Egypt, melted it down, and in the time that Moses was up on the hill, they'd already started to uh, make it into an altar and they were worshipping other gods at this altar. Right from the very beginning of their history, they had stumbled into idolatry. Now in that dreadful moment, Moses uh, pronounces the judgment of Lord, the Lord on them and the consequence of that sin of idolatry on that generation was that that whole generation would need to pass before the people of Israel would come into the promised land. And so they, they, they lived in the desert for 40 years and even Moses himself didn't go into the promised land because even he was unable to fully trust in the promises of God. Uh, really simple thing. God asked him to tap a stick on a rock so that water would come out so that the people of Israel could drink. But Moses tapped it twice just for good measure and didn't fully accept the instruction of God. And so what we see in that narrative is, is despite the failing of the people of Israel, God actually saved a remnant of Israel, a generation that was ready to go into the land that he had promised now, the people of Israel come to the land of Canaan and they're led by Joshua who leads them across the Jordan into the land and they fight a series of wars. Now, the narrative is quite confronting to our modern ears as we read of battle after battle and all sorts of uh, chaotic examples of uh, infidelity of the people of Israel towards God in the midst of those stories. But the major theme of that is that the, the, the people of Israel are being given the land and they're unable to actually, again, do what God asked them to do. He has pronounced judgment on the people of Canaan because the people of Canaan have been committing adultery for generation after generation and the practices that they've been undertaking in the land have been dreadful. And God had actually forestalled his judgment on them, giving them time to repent. But in lack of their repentance, he's actually brought the people of Israel into the land as an act of judgment on them. And so the practices that they were undertaking 
were so dreadful that God says to the people of Israel, do not live like these people around you and in fact drive them out of the land so that you won't actually get involved in their practices. What kind of practices were they involved in? Well, the people were worshipping fertility gods and when they'd plant crops or when they'd actually gather the harvest or when they'd be uh, looking after their livestock, they were always thinking that it was these uh, false gods that they worshipped that were giving them the plenty that they had. And so what they used to do was they used to offer sacrifices to those gods. Now that doesn't sound too dreadful in and of itself, but when you know the content of those sacrifices, it's just absolutely dreadful. They were offering their own children in sacrifices to these gods like the god of Moloch, where they would place a child on a, on a super hot altar and the baby would die so that they could get a good crop for that year. So God had heard the cries of those children who'd been sacrificed. He'd seen the injustice that had been done on those innocents. And he had called on those people to repent, and yet they hadn't. And so Joshua goes into the land with the people of Israel. They conquer Jericho, and then from there they, they spread out. But even as they conquer Jericho, it's quite clear that it's not the people of Israel that win the victory over their enemies. It's God himself. Because all the people needed to do was march around that city and then after they blew the horns, the Lord brought the city down. Unfortunately, the people of Israel did not drive all the people out of the land. And right up until the end of Joshua, this is quite a difficulty because the problem is going to be that if all the people haven't been driven out of the land, then they're going to be tempted to worship these gods in such hideous ways as well and to actually replace the worship of the one and true God, Yahweh, with gods like Moloch and sacrifice children to these gods. And so, as I said, part one of the introduction, chapter 1, verse 1 to 2, verse 5 of the book of Judges, is revisiting this content, and, un- and we're understanding that this is a big problem for the people of Israel. Because even in the reading that I just read, you can see that the Lord had said that he will never break his covenant with them, but they have broken their covenant with him. They haven't driven out the people of the land. In fact, in verse 2, it says there that they had disobeyed him. And he goes on to say that as a result of the fact that they've disobeyed him, God will not drive the rest of the Canaanites out of the land and they will become like a thorn or a trap or a snare to the people of Israel. So it's like the people of Israel are going to be living in the land and there's this trap, this snare that is laying on the ground just waiting to capture them. And unfortunately in the book of Judges we see that this is exactly what happens. That instead of following God, in chapter, chapter 2 verse 3 we read that indeed these gods do become a snare to the people. Chapter 2 verse 3, And as I've always said, I'll drive them out before you, they'll become traps for you and their gods will become snares to you. It's quite ironic, isn't it, that something they think is going to give them fertility and a good harvest will actually be something that will lead to their destruction. It's quite a contrast from what they expect. See, that's the problem with the sin the people of Israel had been caught up in. The temptation for them was that they'd come into a land that was flowing with milk and honey. There was this amazing bounty in this land that they'd come from. Remember, they'd been wandering in the wilderness for a long time and they hadn't seen anything like this in their generation. When the spies went out from Joshua in the book of Joshua to go and spy out the land, they came back saying, we've never seen giants like this. The land is so plentiful. This is is an amazing place. And the problem for them is that they're tempted to think that the reason the plenty is in the land is because of the gods that these people worship. And so rather than trusting in God for their sufficiency, they're tempted to actually go, well, the people of Canaan have been successful in their agriculture because they sacrificed their children to Moloch. Maybe if we sacrifice our children to Moloch, we'll become as successful as them. Now that may sound strange to our modern ears that you, to think that someone would be tempted like that. But I think in our generation we have similar temptations. We are tempted to think that materialism will satisfy us and that materialism will provide all the safeguards we need in our world. And we might not be aware of it, but our our world that we live in is so materialistic that the air we breathe is materialism. We we think of money as something that will bring us security. We think of uh, 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 the, the, the things that we can achieve through the works of our own hands as the way that we can be powerful and successful and safe. But here we are tempted to be 
a little bit like the people of Israel. While we wouldn't sacrifice our children on an altar, we are willing to trade the worship of God and trust in him for trusting in materialism. And sometimes if the sharp edges of those two things come together, sometimes we even choose materialism over God. And I think we all do it sometimes. We're all tempted to work really long hours and sometimes we work such long hours we don't have a lot of energy or time left for church, to go along to church. Sometimes we might say, wow, I've had a really big week. I don't know if I can go to church this weekend. Now, sometimes we have that. Like We all have busy lives. But one of the things that our society is marked by is just how hard we all work in this city of Sydney. And as a result, sometimes we can actually be spending all our time working and maybe ask ourselves, could we be actually relying more on God? There was a time in our culture where we used to set aside Sunday as the Sabbath, where no one worked, no one played sport, and everybody rested and went to church. And those days are within living memory. But my generation was probably the last generation to remember those times. The generation that's growing up now doesn't remember a time where we used to put aside a Sunday. Now, what is the relevance of that for what I'm talking about? Well, the relevance of that is that the idea of putting aside one day a week is that we would be foregoing work for one day a week so that it would help us to remember that it is God who we rely on, not our own work. That we will trust that God will provide our needs even if we put aside a day a week that we could have been using to make more money or to get more things. But we're actually putting that aside so that we might trust in the Lord God and rest uh, amongst his people once a week at church. In fact, Christians of an earlier generation used to do that so often that people would get up on a Sunday morning, go to church, they'd go home, sometimes have lunch with someone, family or someone from church, and then they'd go back to church again in the evening. That was such a normal practice that our Anglican prayer book actually has two separate services, one for Sunday morning and one for Sunday night, one called morning song and one called evensong. And it's just an amazing thing to think these days Could you imagine people doing that to actually have enough time to go to church twice on a Sunday? Well, I think what we've done is unthinkingly just let go some of those practices. Sure, we've we've, um, been able to continue to worship God. We continue to go to church. We continue to practice as Christians. But we've actually, I think, lost that weekly reminder that we're relying on God alone. And that's actually an example of what's happening amongst the people of Israel. They have allowed their practices to slide just a little bit, just a little bit, so that a new generation will come along who forgets some of those things altogether. Like I said, if I was to say to some young people in Sunday school or in the kids' ministry at church that uh, you know people used to go to church twice on a Sunday, they might look at me blankly going, I've never experienced that. Well, this is what's happened with the people of Israel, but in an even more dramatic sense. So if part one of the introduction reminds us of the conquest narrative from Joshua, part two of the introduction actually rehearses the consequences of that forgetting. Because one generation didn't pass on the knowledge to the next generation, the narrative that unfolds is a dreadful cycle of failure after failure after failure. And from chapter 2 verse 6 through to uh, 3 verse 6, we see that Israel actually does slip away from the worship of God and starts worshipping the Baals. Have a look at chapter 2, verses 11 to 12. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, their God, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of other peoples around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served Baal and the Ashereths. Now it's interesting that the god, uh, the gods are called Baals. There, uh, the, the the Canaanites worship many gods, but these these gods were gods of war. They were ruthless, and in the Canaanite theology, those gods saw the human race as slaves, mere slaves, to do their bidding. And yet God had shown uh, through Moses that He had created the world alone there were no other gods and that he had spoke the world out of order and created the world and the people that were created in that orderly creation were not slaves of the gods but actually they were friends of God that he was their king and they were his people 
And Israel had forgot that very core value of their identity. And because they had forgotten their identity, they were tempted to worship the other gods so that they could try and profit from those other gods. So let's have a look at the flow of what happens. It's actually called a Deuteronomic cycle. And it's introduced like this. Israel does evil in the eyes of Yahweh serving the other gods. They experience Yahweh's anger in the form of failure in battle and oppression by their enemies. The people cry out in distress and God rescues them by sending a judge to deliver them. And when the judge dies, the cycle begins all over again. So Israel does evil in the eyes of God by worshipping the Baals. Then they experience an invasion from a particular enemy and they fail to conquer them. An example of that is in verses 14 to 15. And I'll read that for us. In his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of the raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of the enemies all around, whom they were no longer able to resist. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them. Just he had sworn to them, they were in great distress. And so the people realized through losing a battle that the true God, Yahweh, has actually not fought for them. So there must be some vestige of memory there that they remember that Joshua took the first city in Canaan because the Lord God delivered those enemies into their hands. And so they cry out in distress. An example of that is in verse 16 of chapter 2. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. So the people cry in distress and God raises up this leader he calls a judge and he uses the judge to defeat their enemies. Verse 18, we read this. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hand of their enemies as long as the judge lived. For the Lord relented because of their groaning under those who had oppressed it and afflicted them. Isn't it beautiful? Even though the people have turned their back on God, he hears their cries, just as he heard their cries when they were in Egypt. And he raised up Moses, not a perfect leader, but a wonderful leader of the people of Israel. Well, now in this uh, time between time, so to speak, between uh, Joshua and the kings, God raises up these judges. Now, that's a strange word for a leader, a judge. Does that mean he, he raised up someone who had a funny hat on and a big robes and, and carried a big mallet around and said, order, order in the court? It wasn't that kind of judge. Uh, there was uh, a sense that in, in the uh, people of Israel, a judge was someone who might litigate you know, disputes amongst the people. However, these judges were more military leaders than judges in a courthouse. And so this military leader was raised up by God and it's really explicit in the text there that it wasn't even the, the judge that saved them from their enemies. It was actually the hand of God that saved them through the judge. So this is a really important um, cycle that we're going to see time and time again because when the judge dies, the cycle will begin again. The people will forget. Let's have a look at verse 17 and I'll show you what I mean. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but they prostituted themselves to other gods and worshipped them. They quickly turned from the ways of their ancestors who had been obedient to the Lord's commands. So they're in distress. They cry out to the Lord. He raises up a judge who gives them victory. They have a period of peace. But after that generation is gone, another generation grows up and forgets the judge and forgets the Lord God and starts going off and doing their own thing again. Have a look at verse 19 to 23. We see this pattern being described. But when the judge died... The people returned to the, to the ways, even more corrupt than those of their ancestors, following other gods and serving and worshipping them. They refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. Therefore, the Lord was very angry with Israel and said, Because this nation has violated the covenant I ordained for their ancestors and has not listened to me, I will no longer drive out for them any of the nations Joshua left when he died. I will use them to test Israel and see whether they will keep the way of the Lord and work, walk in it as their ancestors did. The Lord had allowed those nations to remain. He did not drive them out by, at once by giving them into the hands of Joshua. So the Lord is going to use the enemies of Israel to test them. And that's what happens time and time again. Between these two sections, the narrative itself is repeated again and again. And you may be forgiven as we go through Judges to go, oh, here we go again. Oh, no, here we go again. And you might be tempted to look at the people of Israel and go, I can't believe these people aren't learning their lesson. 
But every time you're tempted to think like that, remember us. We're the same. We cry out to the Lord. He delivers us and then we forget him. And we cry out to the Lord and he delivers us and we forget him. One of the things that I find really poignant is while lots of people have shared with me over the years in Bible studies their prayer points, please pray for my mother, please pray for my brother, please pray for me, please pray for my children, please pray that this week the exam I go to might uh, not be too hard, whatever the prayer point might be. And they're good prayer points to pray for. I must say that the number of prayers that have been answered has not been reported as much to me over the years as the number of times that we ask God to help us. How many times does God help us in our lives and look after us and care for us and provide for us and then we just forget and we turn to the next problem? And to make matters worse, sometimes when we turn to the next problem, it's almost like we assume it's going to be the first time we've ever had a problem and, oh, is God going to save me? Where is God? We might even be tempted to get angry with God. Why is God letting me go through this again? I once shared this thought with a good friend of mine, Mark Charleston, who's the senior minister at the Anglican Church at Sylvania. And he was telling me that there's an interesting thing that he does when he sits and talks with people. He used to be a chaplain in the army and he used to talk with many soldiers who'd come back uh, from front lines with with great deals of anxiety, uh, depression and PTSD and other really difficult things. And when he sat with them, he'd say to them, even people that didn't have faith, Instead of talking about the problem that you've got right now, tell me about a time where you've overcome something in the past. And he said as profound as that was for someone who's not a Christian, it was even more profound to say to a Christian, yes, you're going through a difficult time right now, but instead of talking about that straight away, can you tell me a time in the past where God has looked after you? See, when we remember that God always answers our prayers, not always in the positive, not always in the ways we would want, but God is a God who... When he promises something, he delivers. And here we see that even though the people of Israel completely reject him time and time again, he remembers his promises to his servant Abraham. When he first raised up Abraham, he promised him that he would turn him into a great nation, that that nation would have a land and that through them would be a blessing to all people. See, God is a God who keeps his promises And when we are tempted to look down on the people of Israel for their lack of ability to fulfill their promises to God, we must remember that we too fail to keep our covenants with God too. But there is a great deal of encouragement for us as we read this story. It's not a story of hopelessness, it's a story of hope. And I want to uh, show you the, um, the, the promises of hope by pointing our attention to three things that will keep coming up in the book of Judges as we go forward the first thing is that the judges themselves are not perfect and yet God can use them God uses imperfect people to accomplish his goals and to fulfill his promises God will use a judge in these stories a judge like Samson who many of us will be familiar with he's a very popular judge of this era and he's the one who uh, God says don't cut your hair and he has incredible strength and whatever he has his hair long he has incredible strength but he falls in love with a philistine woman who cuts his hair and he loses his strength but then in the end of his life god still uses him to overthrow the philistines who are the enemies of the people of israel people like samson point us to the fact that we need a good perfect leader and the leader is jesus the good news and the hope here is that every time we see this discouraging story repeat itself we're reminding reminded that finally God will solve the problem by sending us the perfect Messiah, Jesus Christ. When Jesus first comes in Mark chapter 1, verse 14, he says, I come to bring in the kingdom of heaven. Believe the gospel and repent of your sin. Later in John 14, he says, I am the way to the Father. I am the way, the truth and the life. No one goes to the Father except by me. In Jesus, we have the perfect judge, as it were who can actually deliver us from our enemies. And we have the knowledge of who that perfect leader is. That's the first hope that we can be encouraged by in this book. The second is that even though uh, we see uh, terms such as the fact that these judges led Israel or that there are the Israelites that are led by a judge, the other thing to remember is that it's, it's very rare that the people of Israel were united 
And so each of the judges will come from different tribes in Israel and different tribes will overcome an oppressor, but that not, doesn't necessarily mean that all of the tribes will actually raise up underneath that judge to fight an oppressor. So as you go through the book and you hear that the judge led Israel and the Israelites together went into battle for for the Lord under that judge, etc., what you need to remember is um, that they were divided and they were arguing with each other. Uh, an example of that is Deborah's song about Reuben in chapter 5, verses 15 to 16. Here Deborah actually has a scathing backhand at um, the tribe of Reuben for being lazy and not getting on board with the war against God's enemies. And here in chapter 5, verse 15, this is what we read. The princes of Ishakar were with Deborah. Yes, Ishakar was with Barak, sent under his command into the valley. There you go. There's an example of Deborah being the leader of Israel who's going into battle. In the districts of Reuben, there was such a searching heart. That's a funny uh, statement. There was such a searching heart. What that means is they were asking themselves, should we join under the judge Deborah that she's leading Israel into battle? Should we follow her? Verse 16, why did you say among the sheep pens to oh sorry, why did you stay among the sheep pens to hear the whistling for the flocks in the districts of Reuben? There was such a searching of the heart. There she repeats that phrase again. What's the whistling of the flocks? Well, instead of going into battle, they, the shepherds were sitting around whistling to their flocks. And, De- and, and Deborah is actually saying to them, you're actually not being faithful while we're being faithful to God and rising up against these enemies. You're not doing that. Why is that encouraging? Well, the encouragement I get from that is sometimes when I look around the church, I sometimes don't see a united family who are all single focused following together. Sometimes we argue with each other. Sometimes we disagree with each other. Sometimes we make different decisions and sometimes we hurt each other and sometimes we're hurt by each other, by what people say and what people do. Um, I think this is quite poignant at the moment because at a time where our society is incredibly um, faced with a big problem, Uh, overcoming COVID, the government has said that they want everyone to get vaccinated and many people are getting vaccinated and some people are not being vaccinated. I think the hope from this passage is that I hope that even though we might make different uh, decisions on vaccination, that we won't be like Reuben and become people who are divided and don't follow the leadership of our Lord Jesus through this time. I hope we don't become divided. I hope the Holy Spirit will unite us and continue to help us to be one family through the midst of sometimes decisions that we make that are different. We need to remember that we are united to Christ because what Jesus has done for us on the cross, when he died and he rose from the dead, he reconciled us to God and he reconciled us to each other. So we are a family. And the hope here that we're going to get out of Judges is that we don't be like the Israelites and we be united instead of divided like they were. Now, the last thing I want to draw to your attention as we look at this uh, book, the third thing, is related to the overall story. And the hope of the story is that even though we see the failure of Israel time and time again, the narrator is not interested in us just seeing that as a meaningless cycle of failure. What the writer is wanting us to understand is that even though there's an unrelenting deterioration in the godliness of Israel, right down to the time of Samuel, there will be leaders that the Lord will rise up, that the people will follow, that will actually turn that situation around. So that what we see in the book of Judges is that as Israel did evil in the eyes of the Lord, which is a phrase that's repeated time and time again, the Lord continues to punishment, punish them and a remnant of the people turn to him and ask him to save them. And so what we've got is in the book of Judges this really stark image of the people of Israel doing whatever occurs to them. They do whatever is right in their own eyes and they fail to follow Yahweh. But in the midst of that, Yahweh can bring mercy and order in the midst of chaos. And I find that as a really awesome um, hope, the third hope that there is in this, this story that seems to be a story of chaos. Remember earlier I said the Baals were the gods that the people were following. 
the narrative about the Baals was that they were this chaotic group of gods that were all warring with each other. They even created the world according to their mythology out of a war. They fought each other and the, and the, the human beings on earth were just their slaves. And it's interesting that when the people of Israel start following those gods of chaos, they end up living a life of chaos. They think they're going to have good crops and wealth and prosperity by following these other gods. But all that happens in this narrative is chaos when they abandon God. And they think that if they can secure their own security, they become insecure and their enemies conquer them. Yet when they turn back to God and follow his mercy and understand their primary uh, identity is in following him, there is order and stability. And so the hope that I feel like that we have as Christians is that in the midst of this world that we live in, whether it's COVID or whether it's something else, that we don't be tempted to just trust in our own ability to save ourselves. We should do everything humanly possible to look after ourselves. I, for one, have, have got vaccinated because I, that's been a choice I've made that I think is a reasonable choice. I encourage others to get vaccinated too because we have this ability to have a vaccination and that is a, a really good thing to help us uh, as a society to to get back on track and beat this uh, disease. But I've got to be careful that I don't put all of my hope in this injection that you get to uh, keep this disease away. What I need to remember is I need to honour God in the midst of these times and live as a Christian. Now I had, just to finish, I had a, a very godly minister. We were talking earlier about people who'd passed on the faith to us. I had a very godly minister when I was a teenager. And when I was a teenager, he would talk to me about this kind of idea. And he said to me, uh, how are you going one day? And I said, well, actually, Jack, I'm not doing real well. I don't even know if I'm a Christian anymore. And when I said that I didn't know if I had enough faith and I didn't know if I was a Christian anymore, Jack said a surprising thing. He didn't sit me down to try and talk me into being a Christian. He looked me in the eye and he said, Stuart, keep living as a Christian. Don't stop living as a Christian. And pray that God will give you your faith back pray to god for faith and the prayer you could pray is something like this god in my unbelief please give me belief but in the midst of praying that prayer and waiting for that prayer to be answered he said the really important thing is that you don't stop living as a christian because that's what all that god wants for you to do just keep living as a christian and my encouragement today is in the midst of all these changes, in the midst of coming back out of COVID and all this different thing, in the midst of some people choosing to be vaccinated and other people choosing not to be vaccinated, let's not fight and, and squabble with each other over these things. Let's be kind to one another. Let's be patient with one another. Let's be self-controlled. Let's try and listen to each other. And let's pray for the fruit of the Spirit, that we'd be patient and kind and love one another. In other words, just like Jack said, let's keep living as Christians. So as we come back together, let's have that forefront in our mind as we look at the judges, that we will remember the warning and also the third hope that we are not to live in chaos and argument and, and dissension, but we are meant to follow God and trust in him. One way. Thank you, Stu. One way as well. <laughs> um, I had one question um, after listening to your sermon on uh, judges was that so you talked about the deuteronomic deuteronomic cycle deuteronomic cycle deuteronomic yeah. <laughs> it's very difficult to say um so it goes israel does evil yeah and they experience yahweh's anger because of that evil usually through an invasion mm -hmm. so then then the people cry out god's yep. people cry out god sends a judge to rescue them mm -hmm. the judge passes away and so they forget about god again mm -hmm. And you were saying that we can be tempted to think that we're not the same as the Israelites, but mm. really, we, we really are. Mm. Um, and so we often ask God to help us and then we forget about him. Mm. How do we stop that from happening? How do we keep living as Christians, as you said then? Yeah, well, I think as Jack said, just keep living as a Christian. I think, I think the thing I've been taught from a very young age is God is, in some ways, I mean, God is more interested in the little things we do than the big decisions that we make. You know, sometimes we'll talk to God and say, God, should I go this way or that way with my career? Or should I buy this car or that car? Should I get this house or that house? But sometimes we don't stop and pray when we're faced with a difficult conversation that we're having with someone. We don't think about it. We just say what first thing that comes into our mind. Or we might be on Facebook and we see someone that annoys us and we might just write something back to them. Or I think what, what Jack was saying is the way to maintain a, a 
what I would call a Christian piety is to keep living as a Christian day by day, to, to pause and pray, to be seeking the Lord in all the little things, trying to serve him in all the little things. And if we're doing that all the time, little things, and it seems to me that the big things kind of work out. But um, yeah, I think the thing with the people of Israel is that in their everyday lives, they'd started to rely on things other than God instead of obeying him in the little things. Mm. Yeah. What do you think? Think I said think then. What do you think? Think, think? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I was doing. <laughs> um, I really like that point that Stu brought up is that um, if we're not following God, it can lead to chaos. But if we do follow God, it's almost like an antidote to the chaos. Mm, what did you, what did you, do you have any thoughts about that as well? Yeah. Um, I really I really resonate with the, the big thing, little thing yeah. that Stu said because having spent a lot of time over my years of doing different things in church and ministry and um, having different opportunities. I spent a lot of time with young people who were, you know, at that point where they were thinking, what, what's my life going to be? Um, or, um, or I've been privileged to walk along some um, younger women who were thinking about, you know, what's my relationship life going to be? Um, and often those things can be so overwhelming and people have an idea in their head what they what they want to do. And, and it is, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a... I was going to say it's a long time since I've been. In the, I was never in the dating scene. <laughs> Luckily, praise the Lord, never had to go there. But um, but you know, it's a long time since I was in that age where you know there were relationships. Was it going to happen? Wasn't going to happen? That sort of stuff, and that is chaos. And if you think as a young woman that you know the big thing is you've got to find that person, and I'm obviously I'm talking from the you know as a young man as anybody like that 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 just puts you into this. You're constantly it's chaotic, yeah. you know, and I, I mean, I talk to young people now and the whole idea of like, there's the online dating and then obviously through COVID, not so much, but meeting people and, and like, and, you know, trying to read the signs and what's going to happen. That, that is just, it's not, it's not a way to live in order and with peace in your heart. Um, but it's, 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 you know, it's hard to understand that God just wants you to work on your relationship with him. And obviously, be a loving friend and brother and sister to you know, to your brothers and sisters in Christ. But then, sort of see how things happen. Um, yeah. So I suppose that whole chaos and order thing. Um, it's really interesting. Like one, it's a it's a, a long story. So I won't tell the long story version of it. But there was a point when um, Sadie, Steve, my husband, and I were friends. We were friends for quite a while before we started dating. And um, there was a point where I thought yeah I, I would like something to happen there um and it wasn't until I actually went and I it was funny I was journaling at the time you know you journal a lot um I <laughs> yeah. haven't journaled much Guilty. recently but yeah. I was journaling at the time and I actually have the, the journal that I wrote when I just went God you're in control if this is going to happen it's going to happen I don't want to worry about it anymore you know like you're trying to read the signs all that sort mm. of crap anyway um can I say crap anyway it's church crap. <laughs> 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 um and there was a real peace in that. And it was literally within a week and a half's time that we had our first thing that be, you know, was a, oh, it was one of those silly things where people were going to the movies and, and then everybody day. pulled out and then it became just us going, oh, do you still want to go? Day. I'll go if you go. It was one of those things. Yeah. <laughs> and that sort of became our first day. But, yeah. you know, there was, there was chaos and then there became peace when I just went, God, you're, it's, up, it's up to you. So mm. I suppose that's my personal story and a bit of my experience mm. with helping other people with you know, the small things and also avoiding the chaos. It feels like giving you peace inside in, in a moment of chaos, yeah. Well, just accepting that sovereignty that, like, judges is all about, isn't it? You know, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. Yeah. Like, you know, banging you on the head, God is sovereign. And then God has to bang us on the head. God is sovereign. <laughs> you know, don't... You know, obviously, we get upset. Obviously, we get concerned. And obviously, we feel like we need to, you know, make decisions. And mm. we do need to make decisions. But if we do it from a point of... And I suppose like a less controversial one is like the career one or the job one, I think, as you said, like it's not about what job you're doing. How are you doing it? Mm. How are you treating the people around you? You know, those, those sorts of things, I think that's, that's what God wants. Yeah, absolutely. Well, to wrap it up, I thought we might just do the, um, the three things that you, you spoke about. Shu said there was the, the judges are not perfect. He uses imperfect people to um, basically act out his plans. Number two was, though the judges led Israel, it's read that they were united. So let's work on being united together. Um, and the third one was uh, uh, the looking to God for peace in the chaos. So thank you for bringing those points to us. And I hope that's been encouraging to you, everyone at home. Um, we're going to wrap it up and we'll be back very soon.
is found He is my light, my strength, my song This cornerstone, this solid ground Firm through the fiercest drought and storm Won't have some love everyone for joining us again uh, we really appreciate you coming along and uh, joining with us not long until we have physical gatherings check out how we're all doing that if by looking at the newsletter it tells us how we how it tells us how we're all coming back and how our service teams are coming back so that is a very exciting thing the other thing to say is if you're watching this on saturday see you at the working bee if you feel like coming on sunday the 7th of november if you're watching on sunday morning see you after church and if you are watching this on sunday afternoon thanks for coming <laughs> And the final thing is Soul Revival Apparel is coming, guys. More details to come, but get excited because we've got some exciting things for you to wear. But to finish up, one way. One way.